Welcome to the Career Up Now's Socially Distanced Close-Ups, Israel Edition. I'm your host, Daniel Gable, and today we are speaking with Rabbi Chaim Steinmetz of Congregation Kehilas Jeshurun, of Congregation Kehilas Jeshurun, or KJ. Welcome, and it is a pleasure to have you on. Great to be here, Daniel. So our listeners get to know you a little bit better. Can you share a brief story of how you got where you are today? I am now uh, the rabbi of a modern Orthodox synagogue in Manhattan. We're actually the largest one probably in New York City. And how did I get here? I've been a rabbi for, for nearly 30 years right now. And that's really been my only career, although as I like to joke about it, I never really decided that I wanted to be a rabbi. I was always a great student at yeshiva, and I decided I wanted to continue my yeshiva studies. And as I just continued and realized that I, I need to make a little bit of money, so then I would take part-time jobs, and then that, that's where the rabbinic career started. So where did you go to yeshiva? So I spent several years studying in different yeshiva in Israel, and then I got my ordination at Yeshiva University. Upon my research, I found your two-minute wisdom clips on YouTube, and in one of them, you stated that you don't want the coronavirus to make you a better person. Kind of take us through what made you say that. Well, I, you know, it's interesting because I, and there are several things that really bothered me about some of the sermons I had been hearing from, from uh, rabbis and others, you know, from ministers, where it's sort of, you look at the crisis and then immediately, well, the crisis will turn us into better people, will be more uh, spiritual, will be less materialistic. And I found that to be a very disturbing trend. In other words, I think that, that really our first focus is how do we get rid of this crisis? And to sort of look for silver linings is, first of all, it's, it's not our priority. And second of all, it, it actually romanticizes what is a very difficult and terrible period of time. And it's very difficult for a lot of people. I felt that talking about, oh, look, this is going to turn us into better people. It's just the wrong time to talk that way. And it's the wrong emphasis to place right now. Wow. Just staying on topic of the coronavirus, how has this changed how you do your job as a rabbi at your congregation? Dramatically. In other words, until now, I would be able to go in and be part of a congregation and to have a personal connection, a direct personal connection with everybody in my, who would come to synagogue on Shabbat. If for community, not being able to be together really changes everything about it. In other words, you can teach online, although I don't feel it's the same. Mm -hmm. You can have services online. They certainly aren't the same. But having a community online is not a real community. Human beings are, are not just social animals, but we need that sort of personal connection, whether just being in, in the same space or being able to shake hands or to hug. We need to be able to be connected in a more concrete way than the online platforms allow us to have. So how has, or just the Shabbos experience changed for you? Because at least for my rabbi at home, he sends his sermon out on Friday afternoons, and then we just take it from there as congregants. So like, what have you been doing to create so, the Shabbos experience? So my, my two-minute videos have been really a large part of, uh, of what I'm, I, you know, I'm trying to sort of relate to my congregants. We certainly had plenty of classes online, but what changes is that you're not in synagogue. I mean, that's really dramatic. I mean, now we have services on our roof and it's a, a shorter service, it's a simpler service. 
but it's not anything near what we would have if we were in synagogue during ordinary times. Moving to a different part of our interview, can you name a teaching moment that made you reassess your journey? I'll tell you one moment that I think about, if only in terms of what I was thinking about in terms of what it means to be a rabbi, it was actually very much at the beginning of my career. I had moved into the community. I was a rabbi in Mount Vernon, New York. I had moved into the community before my contract started. And myself and my wife decided to spend Shabbat in the community because we had just moved in and we were kind of tired. And even though I, I was not under contract yet, my contract was starting the next Monday. And so since I'm in the community, I came to the synagogue. And Shabbat morning, I'm in synagogue and I let the services go and I listen and I'm part of it. And after services, one of the older members comes over to me and he says, uh, Rabbi, why didn't you give a sermon? I said, well, my job hasn't started yet. It's not yet time to do what I have to do. And he looked at me and he said, Rabbi, if you're in synagogue, you're supposed to give a sermon. And what he was really saying is, is that rabbis don't have an off-duty life. And I know that for a lot of rabbis and, and for a lot of people in many professions, there is a need for boundaries. And rabbis also need to really have boundaries. The work-home balance is very difficult for rabbis. Uh, but rabbis are, are not really in an ordinary profession. And, and in fact, you really can't call it a profession. It's a mission. It's a calling. And the truth is, is that people are looking at you. And when you're in synagogue, if you're not really, so to speak, in the moment, if you're not really part of who you are at that moment, then you're, you're missing something. And so there really is this sense that, that I learned at that moment that this is not an ordinary profession. What I am is a spiritual leader, and there really is no off-duty light for a spiritual leader. Yes, there are times in which you can find rest and you can find quiet and you can find privacy, but it's very different than sort of saying, well, right now I, I just clocked out of my job. You never clock out of your job because your job is, is not a job. Your job is really a calling. From studying a lot of Torah, obviously, because you're a rabbi and going to yeshiva and being a rabbi and learning through your job. So do you have one core value that guides your life and what you do? I would say the core value is seeing oneself as, as God's partner in this world. Now, some people express that as tikkun olam. Tikkun olam really focuses on the outcome of that, which is doing work to make the world a better place. I think that you have to sort of go deeper and really just sort of see yourself as having a mission to be God's partner, to be connected to God, to bring the inspiration, in, bring inspiration into this world, and of course, to, to make this world a better place. What do you mean by make this world a better place? Well, some of it is very practical, at least for me, it, what I can do is, is I can give comfort to those who need comfort, give joy to those who need uh, joy, to offer counsel, to offer inspiration, to help build community efforts on behalf of those who are needy. I can do things like that, but everybody in their own way can help, whether it be the vulnerable, can help bring, whether it be scientific advancement to this world, whether it be spiritual advancement, to bring more to this world, to make this world into a better place. So how would you suggest someone in my situation as a college student who's kind of not knowing where they should be going in life yet, what would you suggest that how would we make the world a better place? 
Oh, you can do it every five minutes. In other words, even saying hello to someone, asking someone if you can help them with a load or, or something that they're carrying, small acts of kindness make the world a much better place. It's, you know, like the proverbial butterfly from the butterfly flapping its wings. Every time you do something small, you never know how large it's going to be. Moving on to the Israel portion of the questions for our podcast, as it is an Israel podcast. So if a college student or young professional were moving to Israel, what would your advice be to them? Don't expect it to, to work immediately and simply. I actually have a son who, who moved to Israel and, and made Aliyah. And he did the army. He's in university now at Bar-Ilan. I think, first of all, I mean, I, I, before giving advice, I would just congratulate them. I, I think it's important for people uh, to know where their values are. And if you're moved to, to go to Israel and, and continue with one of the great projects of not just Jewish history, but human history, then God bless you. And, and that would be my first reaction. And then the second thing is, is that as, as much as we all, so to speak, have an image of what Israel is, and maybe we romanticize it, be ready for, for the difficulties. But that's true of going to Israel. That's true of starting a career. It's true of being part of a relationship. We very often have idealized vision of what's going to happen. And at the end of the day, it's not really what happens. So currently out there, there's a lot of misinformation about Israel, whether it be in the news or on social media. So to set some of these things straight, what would you want the world to know about Israel? I think people would have to go to Israel. Israel that you see in the newspapers is so dramatically different than the actual Israel that's on the ground. And part of it is because the newspapers are not there to report on everyday life. It's not there to report on Israeli advances against the coronavirus. That's not going to be the hot news unless Israel does something that is, they come up with the ultimate drug. And, and actually recently Israel did come out with one therapy that is going to probably be employed worldwide. Good news about Israel doesn't hit the newspapers. And sometimes when taking groups, particularly taking people who've never been there before, they're surprised to see how peaceful it is. They're surprised to see the interactions between Israeli Arabs and, you know, Israeli Jews, which to them is, is a shock because isn't this supposed to be a region that's constantly at war? What would be the one thing I would say about Israel to sort of describe it? I would say that it's not what you're reading in the newspaper. That's definitely not the Israel that you will experience. And you will come to a country with incredible amount of energy, an incredible amount of vitality, an incredible amount of idealism. The idealism in Israel is, is through the roof, and people are constantly looking not just for new projects in high tech, but new projects in social advancement. I was just watching a friend of mine who started United Hatzalah in Israel, and one of the things that they advanced was this ability that everybody with an app on their phone can be trained and be given first aid or actually EMT training. And they could have a little bag at their side. They can look at the app and the app could say, there's a kid around the corner who's choking and needs help. And the person can run over and be there in three minutes. And wow. this is just a small slice of what goes on in Israel. It's a very vibrant, intense, idealistic country. And I think if they are, in fact, invariably, people who visit and visit with an open mind are surprised because that this is the polar opposite of what is described in the newspapers. 
unfortunately, there are a lot of people who don't have open minds. So how would you suggest that college students or anyone have a conversation with someone who's very much against Israel and what it does? I would say, first of all, you, you do need to know that not everybody who's closed-minded is ever going to change their mind. If you are dealing with people who are closed-minded, you need to be ready for that. They're going to constantly parrot back to you points of propaganda. I think the story of Israel in many ways is fundamentally very simple. This is a land which has belonged to the Jewish people for millennia. The Jews have come back under rights given, extended to them by international law. The country of Israel has offered to make peace consistently. In fact, within Israel, the Israeli Arabs, who you would say, well, they're, they're not Israeli Jews, they, they don't like this country, have an incredible affection for the state of Israel. And overwhelming majorities have a strong feeling that they want to live in the state of Israel and be part of the state of Israel. So, you know, if you give the simple story, if you stick to it, if you don't get sort of caught into a vortex of, well, didn't this little thing happen? Well, come back to the story. Here, let's go through all the times, whether it be Omer or Barak, or whether it be Rabin, peace has been offered and offered and offered. And no one wants to make peace. What they do want to do is get rid of the state of Israel. And so if you want to get rid of the state of Israel, Israel's not going to, to roll over and die. And that, I think, is really the fundamental issue. Even now, with this government, if there was a serious effort to make peace and a serious initiative on the Palestinian side, Israel would have no choice but to answer, and to answer in the affirmative. Because I believe, actually, the, the vast majority of Israelis would be delighted to have a stable two-state solution. What is one of your favorite moments in Israeli history? I would go to the raid on Entebbe. I would go to the, the time in which the state of Israel sent special forces thousands of miles to return a group of Jewish passengers who were being held hostage. And they did so successfully. And it shows you, first of all, the incredible sense of responsibility that Israel has to the entire Jewish world. It shows you a people unafraid to stand up for themselves. And it shows you that the state of Israel is actually the greatest source of security for Jews around the world. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your wisdom for Career Up Now Socially Distance Close-Up podcast. I look forward to keeping in touch with you in the future and best wishes.